Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. So last week, Cherise, I think she did a phenomenal job sharing. She did a phenomenal job. I think she did a phenomenal job sharing and displaying, not just explaining, but displaying how many women in this church have made an impact on her and the importance of legacy in this church, the importance of us pouring into other people. It doesn't just relate to men, but it also, or it doesn't relate just to women, but it relates to men. I would hope that in some season, while you call Central your home, each person can say, I have poured into somebody and I can identify many people who have poured into me. But it takes intentionality. It takes uh, core values of being a family. I do believe that there's a necessity of having a family atmosphere if we strive to have a revival culture. That's what I'm gonna talk about just for the next maybe 20 minutes or so. Is that, and I, I know we talked about family a lot last year, and we're gonna continue to hit on it until we actually see it come to life. It's different to preach on family values and say, let's be unified, let's not gossip, let's, you know, let, let's uh, hold each other accountable, let's fan the flame in each other's lives. It's one thing to preach on it and say, yes, those are good, but to actually see it in the life of our church. So I'm just hitting this one more time, following up from what Cherise said. I believe it is absolutely vital for us, no matter how large we get, to operate as a family if we want to see revival come and actually stay. Now, the reason why I believe a lot of church families are not in favor of revival is because they don't hold a structure for a family. They don't operate as a family. You might say, well, what in the world does a revival have to deal with family? Well, I believe this, is when you hear about other revivals hitting, a lot of times, several weeks or months after a revival hit, so a revival, a revival of the saints, so many salvations, signs, wonders, miracles, and it leaving the church, getting out into the actual community. What usually happens is this. There'll be a small section of Christians that are criticizing a move of God, and what they'll do is they'll start hitting on the abuses. Well, I saw these people faking this, and this wasn't done, and this was done in excess. So what happens is when churches hear this stuff, they say, we don't want to deal with the messes. We're just going to do church the way we are. It's comfortable. We have a few visitors coming. We're good, right? We're going to do VBS every summer. The kids will be happy. It'll be great. But what's happening is this. I think what happens is when they hear of abuses, and they hear God doing things that are outside of their comfort zone, if a church is not structured and operating like a family, the trust is not there to deal with the messes. The trust is not there to restore somebody who has gone in excess to say, hey, we love you. You're just acting like a bonehead right now. Come on back. Let's teach you what we feel like God's doing, right? If you're not structured like a family, we don't have the unity, the trust, the communication. So what starts happening is gossip, division, right? And then the devil can infiltrate a move of God and actually stop if we don't uphold the values of a family. So think about this. If God begins to radically move with salvation, signs, and wonders here, think about what it's going to take for you. A Sunday morning is not going to be coming and sitting and listening to a message. A Sunday morning will be about ministering to a family that is extremely broken. It'll be about ministering to a transgender who was born a boy, had a surgery to become a girl, gets born again, understands who their identity is in Christ and wants to become a boy again. 
Y'all confused? Are you saying, wait, so if God begins to move in this area, there's an epidemic of heroin riddling Washington County. So if God begins to move, people who are hungry and desperate for deliverance are going to come into a place to be delivered. And that's not going to happen by one person preaching a message. So people come in that are looking different, that are acting different, that have a lifestyle different. Are we ready for that? I believe if we're just a church that meets on Sundays and we're a part of a class and so on, it's not going to last because you'll see things that are strange. You'll see people that are different and you'll say, I'm not sure if I'm into this. But if we are unified as a family, we will be able to deal with the messes. We will be able to deal with difficult situations. We will be able to take the time to counsel the child that's dealing with three, if not four sets of parents and grandparents. But we we have to be a family first. So I have a heart to partner with other churches, other similarly believing churches in our area to have evangelistic festivals, to have outreach uh, to people who are in need. I have a vision to do that. I believe that the Lord will plant many churches from this. We see the beginning already with Pastor Risa days. We're under, he's under a spiritual covering. We see Pastor Francisco. He now has a Bible study in Uniontown, Morgantown, and just got permission uh, from a Presbyterian church in Pittsburgh to start Pentecostal services there. Yeah. So they're going to start as small Bible studies, but there'll eventually be three more churches. So we believe that with the, the, the English-speaking side of our church, when God's ready, that he's going to begin the, uh, multiplying our congregation. But we, we, uh, we have to be within a family culture first. So when God moves and does things that are different or hard to explain or are just messy because people's lives are broken, we will not start to say, well, what's over there and there? We won't get skeptical or divided. We'll stay together and unified. So I want to share a verse with you. There's just a few verses here. In Ephesians 1, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 4, they'll be on the screen. I'm just going to hit on a few, just, just a few verses today. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, who, which Paul was, it says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, which I talked about several weeks ago. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and the Father of all, who is over all and through all and all. If you look back just a little bit here, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now that's tough to do when you're growing and your life is kind of like more put together than somebody else's that isn't. But he's saying we're bearing with one another. We're being patient with where somebody else is. Now that doesn't mean if somebody is living in complete disobedience and rebellion to the Lord and they're a part of our church family, it will actually help them to go and kindly rebuke them, correct them and bring them back into the sheepfold, okay? That's one situation. Another one is where somebody's just struggling to learn more and they're struggling to get out of an addiction or something, but they, their heart is set on Jesus. Paul's saying, be patient with one another. Bear with one another in love. But it says here to keep the unity of the spirit. Now, I think this is a necessity to understand. When like, you know, an athletic team, when, let's just pick a football team. They're, if they're unified at times, 
the quarterback coach or the head coach or the linebacker coach is going to make a call that they don't agree with, that some of the people don't agree with. Now, if one of those athletes say, I can't believe he made that call again. I can't believe he sent that thing. The more that that starts to happen, the more division is going to happen. They'll lose the game. But if that team decides before the game, we are unified no matter what happens. So if somebody says something we don't agree with, if, if one of the players messes up and misses a ball, we're still unified moving forward together. So you're sitting in an aisle with somebody that's going to make a decision that you're not going to agree with in life. Or they're going to do something with their lifestyle that you're not going to agree with. If we make a decision now to be unified, even in disagreement, you know, minor beliefs and, you know, timelines of the end times and things like that. Even if we bind together and say, we know Jesus is Lord. We agree on, you know, the, the 16 fundamental truth. And some of the other things, I don't know, what, what, this person versus that person. If you are bound together in love, unity in the spirit, then we will continue to advance together. Does this make sense? If we're saying, well, I don't know. I mean, you chose something that I didn't like and you look this or the pastor doesn't wear a tie and it's a little bit warm in here today. If we're thinking about all those things, then we're not gonna be unified. Well, what we do is then we start to operate in selfishness because we're thinking about what we want instead of what God wants to do through our church. Listen to what he says in verse four alone. There's one body, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal holiness, I'm forgetting all of the other ones that are out there right now. There's a lot of denominations out there. If Jesus is their Lord, then they have the same Holy Spirit in them that we do. We just believe that he operates in more of a fullness than a lot of the other churches do. But he, he, they actually have the same Holy Spirit in them. It says one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So not just our church family. But are you united with other believers in your workplace? Are we united with other churches in the area? Moving forward to push back the works of the enemy. So that's the first point, really, is that the family protects the unity of the spirit. Second, I want to share with you quickly, is that a family is where the more mature set the example with action, not just with words. Right? You've heard the phrase by somebody who would probably be more of a hypocrite, do as I say, not as I do right? Now, you've seen this happen in, in moves of God before. We've actually seen this happen. Uh, I'll just pick one example, uh, the Methodist movement. There are good Methodist churches. I'm not talking down on that denomination. I'm giving you facts. The Methodist movement started in revival with John Wesley. If you look at their logo, it has a flame on it, representation of the move of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God. So when the Methodist movement happened, there were signs and wonders and miracles. There were massive amounts of salvations through the ministry of John Wesley and then his associates. So there's an authentic move. They're being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit does. And then what happened is, is they institutionalized the move of God. So they made universities to train people up. That's all a good thing. We believe that we're going to have a ministry school here someday. These things, training is all good. What happens though is if we, if we stop actually living it out for the people who are younger in the faith and we become just teachers of the word, that we institutionalize a move of God. Do you see the difference? One is a professor saying, I know how to parse this word and I know what this means. I know the structure of this sentence. Now go and do it. And then you say, have you ever prayed with someone and seen healing? And they're like, no, not at all. I'm not even sure if it happens, but I'm gonna teach it from the word. I don't want to be a church family like that. I want us to actually live out what we want to reproduce in people's lives. 
That puts a lot of, of healthy pressure on the leadership of the church to lead the way. And then for those of you who are pressing in, I'm not saying we have to be perfect and have arrived. What I'm saying is that we are pressing into the very things that we're teaching our people to do, which means the pastoral team, the elders, the deacons, we need to be unified. We need to be against gossip, right? But we also need to be pursuing the supernatural, sharing faith so people get born again. So when we're discipling people and then you're discipling other people after you've been trained, we see the fruit of it and not just the theology behind it. Say theology is important. Experience is important. I'm not demeaning theology. I'm saying that theology should be backed up with a lifestyle. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So I want us as a church, family, when new people come in to be able to say, hey, just follow me as I'm following Christ and you'll become more like Christ. Just follow, just follow how I'm growing. Follow my lifestyle and you'll see Christ in me. You'll see the word come alive and you'll become like Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. I've heard this several times in this church and in other churches. A family will come in. Two years later, they'll go out and they'll say, we just couldn't get connected. You know, we, we, didn't, know, we didn't know what to do, so we just weren't connected. It's too, big of a church fam- it's too big of a church to do it. I do not think that's true. I am asking each one of you to take, you be intentional about getting involved, right? You take the step to say, I want to get involved. I want somebody to pour into me. Or you take the step to say, call Pastor Juan, call Pastor and say, I want to pour out. I want to meet with somebody. I want to be able to teach a younger believer. I want to be able to pour into a children, a youth, whatever it is. Just take that step of faith. That's how we'll operate as a family. If you're, if you're able to say to somebody else, just follow me as I follow Christ and you will grow in your walk with the Lord. You guys all right? Like I said, it's more of a talk today, just things that have been on my heart. When we realize that we can really only give away what we already have, then our desire to be filled up will become greater, right? Like at the beginning of a day, if you had a cup of water that was just a few inches tall and you knew that's all you had to pour out for the rest of the day and the people around you were still thirsty at the end of the night, then the next day you would make sure your cup was more and more and more full, right? So you can pour and pour and pour. Jesus said in Matthew, I think it was 10, maybe verse eight, he said, freely you've received, now freely give. That's a filling up to pour out, a filling up to pour out, a filling up to pour out. Now in the natural, parents have to pour out to their kids what they've already experienced. That's why kids see straight through it, right? If I'm, I'm up here, I have two of my kids in here. When I say things here and they're like, oh, daddy doesn't act like that at home sometimes, right? They see straight through that. They see through, like if I'm saying, stop yelling at each other. Wait, wait a minute. My father's yelling at me to say stop yelling at each other. That's do as I say, not as I do. Now put that across hundreds of people where some of you barely know each other and we're trying to walk this thing out together saying, freely I've received, now I am willing to freely give to someone else. That's going to ingrain in us a unity of the spirit that cannot be broken. Thank you. The last two I'll share just in a few minutes here. 
The third is a family is where children are equipped and empowered at a very young age. In Galatians chapter five, it says, and we, we usually put the ideas of an adult in these verses. It says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. So they do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The Lord showed me when I shared, I shared this on a Wednesday night uh, several months back. The Lord showed me, what if we actually applied this to kids? What if we taught children at a very, very young age how to not just avoid the bad stuff, right? Don't steal, do, don't do this, don't do this, don't run, don't go too far away from mom and dad. But we actually taught them to be led by the Spirit, to pray for themselves when they have bad dreams, to read the Word as they're getting older on their own. Not so we're not there, but so that they're following the Spirit, so they don't do what their flesh wants as they grow up and they hear the infiltration of the secular world around them. What if we had a generation? Oh, I'm not into children's ministry. Well, maybe you are if you understand legacy. Maybe you will be if you understand the ability to be able to pour into a child. If you don't, I'm talking to maybe people that don't even have children right now, right? You choose to pour into a child or a youth and just share life with them every so often. And maybe they'll learn how to follow the Spirit. Samuel, my youngest, and I, we were talking last night, and he was asking the, the difference. We were, he, he actually said, like, if we never, if we, if we avoided doing all of the bad things, would we still sin someday? So we were talking, if Adam didn't sin, would Satan have tempted somebody that was older and this and that? And this verse popped back up. And I, we talked about the difference of avoiding all of the bad stuff or following the good stuff right? If you just try to avoid sinning your whole life, trust me, your focus will be on sin and you'll sin. But Paul's saying, yeah, run away from sin, but follow the Spirit. So we need people who are going to pour out into this next generation and teach them, you can hear the Holy Spirit now. So there are many ideas, I'm not going to share them for the sake of time, that we want to do. We, we've begun uh, interviewing for the children's pastor position, like we said we were going to late spring. But there are ideas that are in my heart that we can use to train these children up. That's why we have them come up here on Sundays. It's not for a show. It's to say, no, you're worshiping with us. In fact, the Lord reminded me last night here that we need to be having our children in different areas of ministry too, not just on the platform, because not every kid is built to sing right? So we can have our kids being the ushers. We can have our kids being the greeters once a month. We could say, like, this is not a show. We can equip our children now. That's why they're in the sound booth over in the super church, and they're going to start to begin to be the altar team in the upcoming months, and hopefully we'll be able to develop them so they're worshiping in front of their own peers and actually discipling fifth and sixth graders, discipling second and third graders. We can do this now. The last part I want to share before we go into communion is a family is where children are encouraged to dream. In 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Oh, this hurts to think about, but can you imagine if just pure revival would break out in Super Church and at The Rock, and they started living a life for us as an example, to say, whoa, we got to step it up as adults, step up our prayer time, the study of the word, and going after God. Picture what that would look like. Many children each week coming to know the Lord, being healed, touched, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about the significance of what that would have on us.
the encouragement that would have. See, I believe churches speak to children one of two ways. They would either say, I believe in you. God believes in you. He had a dream and he wrapped your body around it. Now go. Do what God's calling you to do. Or they could say, through our own words, you can't be trusted. Your heart is immature and too young. You'll probably mess this up. So let me dictate it to you. We might never say those words, right, directly, but that's how we do speak sometimes to kids. So a church vision is either going to be like really small and all y'all have to come and just follow this one little thing and then we have uniformity or we could set a a vision broad enough to say we have hundreds of people that all have callings and dreams from God. So we want to come alongside of you so that we're unified, but we're not in uniformity. We're unified, but there's diversity. Do you guys see the difference? Unity does not come from uniformity. Uniformity all looks the same. It's boring. It's not from Christ. Or our body would just be like one stick, all the same. Unity will come from diversity. I talked about harmony the other week. Many different instruments making a beautiful sound together. So I believe we need to be careful of how we speak to children and begin to speak life and encouragement and fan their flames. It can happen in VBS, in Sunday school, when you're rocking a child, and it can happen just through a natural lifestyle of you getting to know a parent of a child, taking them out to lunch and begin to pour out what Christ has already done. And I believe that these areas of family are going to give us a structure and core values to actually see God move and to stay for a very long period of time. In fact, we're talking about when we structure these church, this church and the vision and the mission, we are believing that this will stay in place for generations to come. Like when we're already with the Lord, our belief is that when our kids now, our grandparents, that God will still be moving, still changing lives. As we go into communion at this time, I'm gonna ask my oldest son, Isaac, to come up. Isaac wrote an essay earlier this year about the the life, the death, uh, the burial and resurrection of Jesus. And And I know that it's fitting today because it's a good introduction to communion. But it's an example uh, to each of us parents and each adult today that we don't have to wait uh, until somebody's older and say, well, wait a minute, I'm not give him a microphone. He's young and what this and that. No, not at all. Sharice and I, you know, we do the best that we can. I know that we still make mistakes, but our desire is to be the floor, is that our ceiling is their floor. So the most that we accomplish in life, they just step right over that and they see many, many more things of God than we've ever seen. That makes some parents nervous because we still carry pride around. Like we wanna keep our kids down. No, I want them to see and experience things that we haven't seen, not because we don't want to see them, just because they've had, they've had that, 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 that plowing ground. So parents, many of you have, have children out there that have written things just like this, that have seen things from the Lord, that have had experiences with the Lord. We're not saying that Isaac's more special than anyone else. I know what Isaac wrote, and I know that some things that God spoke into his heart. So this is a practical opportunity for him, just like we can give kids practical opportunities off of this stage in many areas, to begin to say, wait a minute, I I feel fulfilled when I'm doing this. I see fruit when I'm doing this. And it it teaches them, you don't have to wait till college to figure out what God wants to do in your life. What if we had second and third graders that knew, I'm going to be a doctor because I know I want to bring healing power to people. I want to be a businessman because I want to teach the American business how to operate with integrity and honesty and prosperity. 
Well, what if we had that? What if we had six, seven, and eight-year-olds who already knew and they didn't have to mess around guessing and this and that and swaying back and forth in their life, but God knew they were calling them to a specific field because of who they were, not just because of what they're going to do. So this is just, this is, this is just a, a living example of what we should be doing with all of our kids, all of our youth as a family as we watch God move here at Central. So I was just going to read this to you, then we'll call the ushers down. And then we will um, take communion together before we close service. I'm going to put this a little bit closer to you. Okay. All right, buddy. I'll be sharing about Jesus' death on the cross, resurrection, and the results of these events. The story may seem weird, and the results may even seem unrealistic. Despite the way that everything sounds, however, all of it is true. Here's a summary of Jesus' life. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. His parents were Mary and Joseph. Joseph was Jesus' earthly father, but God is Jesus' heavenly father. Jesus grew in Nazareth with his family. That is why people call him Jesus of Nazareth. Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. When Jesus grew to be a man, he gathered 12 disciples to help him with his ministry. Jesus performed miracles throughout his ministry, such as healing the sick, casting out demons, making the lame walk, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the blind see, and raising the dead. As Jesus was doing these miracles, the Pharisees thought he was stirring up trouble, so they plotted to kill him. One of the twelve disciples named Judas betrayed Jesus for thirty pieces of silver. Roman soldiers arrested Jesus and crucified him on a cross. A rich man from Arimathea named Joseph offered his tomb for Jesus' burial. Then three days later, Jesus came alive. Some of the main impacts of Jesus' death and resurrection are that we can go to heaven and have eternal life. It is everyone's choice if they want to believe in Jesus to be able to go to heaven. Another result is that we do not have to give animals as offerings anymore because Jesus gave himself as an offering for us. Most importantly, when Jesus died on the cross, our sins were forgiven. An odd result that occurred when the veil, was that the veil was torn in the temple from top to bottom by God. Since the veil was torn, it gives everyone an opportunity throughout their, life, their whole life to be in God's presence. Also, the ground shook and that caused graves to open. The result of the graves opening was dead people coming alive. Some amazing results that also occurred after Jesus died. One result is that we can have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Another result is that we can have, God gives us the power to do many things. These include the power of healing, casting out demons, the power of praying in Jesus' name, raising the dead, prophesying over other people, and performing miracles. As you can see, there were and are many results of Jesus' death. You may be stunned, amazed, or confused at some of these outcomes. Even though Jesus died, he came back to life three days later after his death. Now Jesus reigns all over the earth. Good job. You just have to stay up here. Okay. Now, it's not about an 11-year-old. It's not about, oh, that's cute. It's about, I probably couldn't have said it much better. If you were listening to the message and not the age, if you listen to the message, you were just presented with the reason why we do what we do. You were just presented of why he came, what he did when he was here, how and why he died, how he came back to life and others rose with him at that time, 
how we are forgiven of sins, how we can be healed because of this, because of what happened to his body, and then how we can actually operate in the same power. That's the flow of this. This is why we do this. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time. As we take together, I'm not asking for you to be a member at Central. We ask that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. As we sing a song and as you hold the elements together, we'll all take them together at the end. But as you hold them, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the life of Jesus. I want you to think about why he died. I want you to think about how he was resurrected. And I want you to think of the results of that in your life, that Jesus came, that you would be set free from all sin and that all sickness was paid for through the blood or through the beatings that Christ took. Where sin runs deep, Lord, 
Your grace runs deeper for all enslaved. The ransom paid, light of the world. Yours is the power where there was sin. Your love rushed in where sin runs deep. Your grace runs deeper for all enslaved. received uh, what I believe is a word of knowledge from the Lord from a trusted member right before service today. It says the Lord would like to heal allergy and sinus problems. He would also like to place a hedge of protection on the congregation against colds, viruses, and flu, and bless us with complete health. So I will receive that from myself who struggles with allergies. Listen, before Jesus even died, it said that he came to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy that he carried our sickness and he took our infirmities. And then in 1 Peter, it says, by his stripes, we were healed. 
So it's because of the stripes and the beating that he took upon him that actually showed he carried our sicknesses. He was beat, right? And because of that, because of what he took, we can be healed. So for those of you, many people probably in this congregation that take an allergy pill, this is gonna be our pill of healing today. Amen? So his body, though none of his bones were broken, his body was broken open so that our body could be put back together. So as we take this, if you have sinus problems, allergy problems, cold flu, receive in faith, not in this wafer, but because of what happened in his body, that our body can be healed. Isaac, go ahead, buddy. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given things, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. All right, let's take together. Trust in the healing power of Jesus. Yeah, Father, right now we receive by faith that this congregation is going to be a healthy family, that our sinuses are going to unclog, that our nose is going to stop running, that our body will be able to operate in health. Father, we trust your healing. And we also ask for your wisdom, that if we're eating anything that's causing a reaction, or if we're living in a way that's causing this, that you'd give us revelation, that we'd receive health and also walk in health, in Jesus' name. All right, buddy. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. All right, why don't we take our cup and drink together this time? Hallelujah. Let's stand together after you're done drinking. Father, we thank you today for your blood. There's nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing like your blood. Your blood we receive as the power in itself to forgive all sins. We thank you, Father, for the covenant that we've come into with the Father because of the blood of Jesus. We receive it for ourselves. We don't walk in guilt or condemnation. We walk in victory. We walk in freedom. We walk in love. We walk in peace. We walk in unity, and we walk in forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus. Father, we pray right now that you would give peace, favor, help, and blessing to each person in this church family as we go until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a great week. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.